0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This morning we talked about the idea of God's authority being absolute because we are His creation. And he has the right to rule his creation in whatever way seems good to him. And some don't want it. Some don't want to have it. That's that way, whether they would have it or not. But some don't want to have it. And so they resist the idea of the existence of God. They claim that science has proven there's no God. That claim is not true. We're not going to go into a deep discussion of science this afternoon. You've had other studies over the the months and years that deal with Christian evidences, and I'm sure you'll have more again in the future. This afternoon, we're going to talk about the existence of God purely from a moral and ethical standpoint. Basically, we're going to talk about a world where the atheist gets their wish, and there's no God to tell us what we can and can't do, if there is no God. This sermon is based on a true story. Story of a place called Liberal, Missouri. Maybe you've heard of that place. I hadn't heard of that place until I read the story of its origins, which fascinated me greatly. And as we talk about the story and the history of Liberal, Missouri, you're going to hear a lot of things that seem awfully familiar to what's going on in the world today. Liberal Missouri started as a town in 1880. That was a long time ago, more than 100 years ago. Today, it's a normal town with normal values that are typical of the age. Some folks are church-going folks, some folks are not. It's just a normal small town in America. But in 1880, it wasn't that way. started by a man by the name of George Walser, and he representing a society of so-called free thinkers, said this town will be only atheists. No Christians will be allowed. It's a kind of world that a lot of atheists would like to mandate upon us today. Now, I know some may not feel that way, but there are some that would love to prohibit religion. Don't fool yourself into thinking otherwise. And there are some nations where they already do that. In the name of atheism. Well, George Walser believed in this society of free thinkers, but he didn't believe you were free to think there's a God. You weren't free to look at the evidence and draw a reasoned conclusion that there was a man named Jesus who's the Son of God who died for our sins and was raised three days later. You weren't free to think that. And you weren't free to think that there is a right and a wrong that's defined by our creator. And you weren't free to think that all the design around us shows evidence of a designer. (coughs) And creation shows evidence of a creator. You weren't free to think that. Because the free thinkers was a name only. It was not something they practiced. Because they wanted a community that didn't allow such free thought. He said, Mr. Walser said, this community shall have neither God, hell, church, nor saloon. (laughs) This community would be given over to the philosophy of humanism. We're going to show that we as humans can run a good society without the input of God. We're not going to allow it. So what happened? Well, in 1885, Clark Braden wrote an editorial in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And in that editorial, Mr. Braden said that this town was overrun with drunkenness, rebellious youth, profanity among the young and the old, slander, infidelity, abortion, prostitution, and corruption of all manner. Basically, Mr. Braden insinuated that the experiment five years in of having a society without God was failing and the society was falling apart. He said there are many who want to leave liberal Missouri, but they cannot, they can't afford to leave. They're unable to sell their property and many were financially ruined because their land and their homes became worthless because the godless world wrought the fruit that is common of removing God and his morality from a society. They got what they wanted. And it was an abysmal failure. Humanism revealed itself for all that it is. A bad experiment in human folly. Well, you would imagine that there would be people who did not like Mr. Braden writing these things and publishing them in the newspaper. In fact, later on, they arrested Mr. Brayden for criminal libel and had him tried. Guess you could say they were trying to cancel him. Does that sound familiar? Any voices you hear of today that are speaking against atheism or against immorality and in favor of Christian ethics? You ever hear of any of those voices trying to be canceled? Yes, you do. Because you see, Satan doesn't want light. Satan doesn't want truth. And those who represent his will don't want the light of truth to be shined on what they're doing and on its effects. And so they tried to silence Braden. But the jury ruled no cause for action and Mr. Braden was set free. But then S.C. Thayer filed a civil lawsuit. Now, Mr. Thayer was the owner of a hotel in Liberal, Missouri. And he did not like it that Mr. Braden told the truth about what was happening in their miserable, godless community. And so he filed civil suit until he learned that Mr. Braden and his lawyers were prepared to, in the court, prove their charges about what a terrible failure this atheist experiment had been. And so days later, Mr. Thayer dismissed the suit all at his own cost, as it should have been. Quite a story, isn't it? When I first heard this, I thought, that, that can't be right. Well, I double-checked and read triple, quadruple-checked, and it's true. Does that sound anything like what's happening around us today? People want to remove God from society. They've insisted on it in the courts and behind the political platforms of our land. And then when they start getting their wish, they lose their minds. And say, well, I can't believe these things are happening. And a lot of times they blame Christians, of all things, for the effects of removing God from society. Well, Let's talk about this idea of what if we took God out of the equation? What if there is no God? Psalms 14 and 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Now this passage says, Number one, it's foolish to look at all that's around us and say, Yeah, it's an accident. It's all the result of an explosion. You don't have to think very hard to think through that and see. That really is nonsense. I know they've stuck a lot of, cool sounding labels on the supposed processes and they've insisted that it's all science and we ought to just be quiet and believe it. I know that. I heard that going to school. My kids heard that going that to school and y'all heard it and your kids heard it and so forth. We, we understand the other voices loud, but that doesn't make a foolish idea any more sensible. Screaming louder into a microphone doesn't make it any more true. Okay? So the discussion aside of the particulars of the foolishness of saying there is no God, this passage also pulls back the curtain, so to speak, and shows the wizard behind the curtain and tells us what really drives the desire to say that there's no God. They're corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that do the good. Man's sinfulness and his desire to be his own God and make his own rules is why man denies God. It's not because they looked under a microscope or looked in a test tube or dug a hole in the ground and studied what was there and saw evidence that compelled that conclusion. It's because man doesn't want to believe that there's a force out there that can tell me what to do and not do. Which goes back to this morning's study. Well, if there's no God, that means all life is the same. Human life, animal life, insect life, we could go on and expand that into plant life, microscopic life, any kind of life. It's all the same if there is no God. Robert Riley, who was an atheist, said, Human life is sacred only if there is a God to sanctify it. Otherwise, man is just another collection of atoms. Listen to this and can be treated as such. Now, this is the voice of atheism. Don't expect them to lead with this statement when they're feeding this stuff to our kids at school or at the universities. Don't expect that. <clears throat> Don't expect this to be the lead thought in a philosophy class that insists there's no God. Okay? Don't expect that because they're not going to be that forthcoming. But when you dig into the the meat of it, and you find out what atheists really believe, this is the kind of thing that you find. There's no difference between human life and other life. Human life is only sacred if there's a God to sanctify it. And that's what we learned this morning. Human life is sacred because we're made in the image of God. Our life is sacred because God said so. (coughs) Simon Edwards said, If life has evolved by chance alone, then no creature is qualitatively different from any other. If it is morally reprehensible to kill a man, then it is equally odious to kill our brother the chimpanzee. By the same token, how can we kill cows for food or dogs or mice for research and mosquitoes? So let's lean into it a little bit and really chew on this for a second. What this atheist is saying, Mr. Edward, is he's saying if there's no God to sanctify human life and say this life is different. If you walk into a room that's infested with mosquitoes and you spray it with mosquito spray and you kill all those mosquitoes, that's no ethically different than when someone kicks down the door to the schoolhouse and does the same thing to a room full of school children. Oh, but that's not we, what we want. That's not what we mean. We, the quote's on the screen in front of you. You can see it for yourself. If there's no God to say human life is special, then why is it different to swat a bug or kill a boy? Why is that different? Why is it different to slaughter a cow or pull a weed? Why would that be different? Well, we hold human life sacred. Really, why? Why? we're just a collection of atoms and can be treated as such that's what atheism says now the atheists will object that oh you can be atheist and be moral i know and i know there are atheists who think they're moral but you can't be atheist and teach an effective authority for morality you can think you want to live by morals, but you can't define those morals. Well, we'll let society define right or wrong. We'll talk about that this afternoon. But before we do, I want us to think about this statement that Simon Edward made. If we all evolved from a single-cell organism like evolution and atheism says, then all these different amoebas, parasites, fish, Birds, animals, mammals, monkeys, people. There's Mr. Darwin up there on, the, on your upper right. All of these people are the same. And when you go fishing and you catch a fish and you clean that fish and cook it and eat it, that's no different than a, a tribe of cannibals that catches an explorer and does the same thing to them. If there's no God to say, well, no, human's life is sacred then there's no ethical difference between those. If there's no God, all life is the same. And there's no foundation. If there is no God, there's no moral foundation of right and wrong. I heard a man make a statement one time that every major set of moral ethics taught in the New Testament are rooted in the truth of Genesis chapters 1 to 11. And I thought that was a fascinating statement, and I wasn't sure it was true. But as he began to walk through that, I began to see, you know, if they're not all there, there's an awful lot of them are there. Marriage, all the obligations that go with marriage, fidelity and honor, the work ethic, modesty, right and wrong. All You start thinking about it. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 1 through 11. We'll look at some examples of that. And people are interested in removing God from equation because man wants to make his own rules, but then not like the world that creates. We don't want to like a world where there's such wide-open violence against people. But we want a world without God's rules. That's You can see the hypocrisy of it. And some, if they can't remove God, they want to at least remove the creation story and say, well, there may be a God out there somewhere, but the Genesis story isn't true. And when you take away the first 11 chapters of Genesis and their their place in the record of history as God has handed it to us in his word, you remove a moral foundation of right and wrong. Let's talk about these things. Jeffrey Dahmer some of you younger ones may not remember him. He was a very famous criminal who committed heinous acts against his victims, including cannibalism. Okay. He was eventually caught and imprisoned. And here's what he said. If you don't think there is a God to be accountable to then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed that the theory of evolution as truth, that we all just came from the slime. When we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. So Mr. Dahmer took these ideas that I read from you earlier from these atheists and said, I'm all in. And so he went out and acted accordingly. And killed and did a lot of other very, very terrible things to a lot of victims. All in the name of kill a man, swat a mosquito, pull a weed. What's the difference? He practiced what atheism preaches. Let that sink in. Edward Simon I don't claim that Darwin and his theory of evolution brought on the Holocaust, but I cannot deny that the theory of evolution and the atheism it engendered led to the moral climate that made a Holocaust possible. Now, I hope you're all familiar with the Holocaust. I know that's not always being taught in school now the way it was many years ago. So let me just tell you in brief, here's what the Holocaust was. In the absence of God, we're going to say, well, society will decide right and wrong. And in the 1930s, a major society in Central Europe said, here's what's right and what's wrong. The Jewish people are responsible for all of our problems. And so to get rid of our problems, we've got to get rid of the Jewish people. And so they went in to the towns and the villages and the cities where the Jewish people lived, and they gathered them up and put them in concentration camps and exterminated them. By the millions, that was Germany under the leadership of Hitler, and that's what gave rise to World War II. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the Holocaust. So an atheist says, Darwin and the theory of evolution and the atheism that came hand in hand with that, that created the climate that made the Holocaust possible. Now, wait a minute. I thought we wasn't going to tolerate killing people because God's not going to tell us what to do. People are going to get together and work together, and we're going to come up with a moral standard, humanism. And then we'll enforce that moral standard on those that are around us, so we won't let people go into schools and kill people, right? it's called might makes right we define right and wrong and we enforce that with the might of our collective government and so if we're going to accept that and say well there's no God to say what's right and wrong so we're gonna let man get together and decide what's right and wrong and then might will make right societies will define right and wrong if that's the accepted standard then I have to accept Nazi Germany And stand idle as they go into communities taking all these people just because of their ethnic background and carting them off to kill them. Anybody want to sign on for that? Well, it doesn't affect me, someone might think. Give it time, it will. You never know when you're next because I'm going to tell you something. In our brokenness, humans are always looking for someone to hate and an excuse to hate them. And if we don't do it for color or for nationality or ethnicity, we'll find another reason to do it. We're just that broken. And that's what they found in Nazi Germany. And that's what people are finding today. And the reason they're finding that is because of atheism. Look at Viktor Frankl's quote. The gas chambers of Auschwitz, that's this means by which people were killed in the Holocaust. The gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but a product of heredity and environment or as the Nazis like to say of blood and soil so here's what Victor Frankl is saying the Holocaust is a product of the theory of evolution and atheism it's what happens when you remove God how much more do we need To show why the psalmist would say it's a fool in his heart who wishes for this. Who says there's no God. We don't want a rule maker to tell us what we can and can't do. When you take away God, you take away the moral foundation. And if society defines right and wrong, then might makes right and we have to accept evil. Such as what is propagated in a society like the 1930s Germany. And if you want to pull them out of the equation, just keep digging back through history. You won't won't have to dig long before you find another people that decided it was all right to eradicate some other group or persecute them. And I'll tell you, it's going on today. And it's going on all over the globe. You may not hear about it on the news. You may not hear about it in school. But it's going on. People being mistreated or completely wiped out just because of who they are ethnically. In a society that rejects Christian values so I said that values of right and wrong are rooted in Genesis let me show you family values rooted in the Genesis story Genesis 2 and 24 therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh that passage and the verses surrounding it and the creation story teach the foundation behind why a man is obligated to love his wife and take care of his family and why a woman is obligated to love her husband and be there for her family and why parents are obligated to love their children and care for their children all those kinds of values related to that Are rooted in the Genesis story and when you remove the Genesis story and say that's myth you remove the foundation of the building and how long is a building going to stand without a foundation everybody in this building understands how long this building would stand without a proper foundation be there for a while but before long it would start to crumble hello modern world Aldous Huxley who was closely associated with Darwin and, and the other evolutionists and atheists said, we object to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Dad tells mom and the kids one day, I'm going to the store for a jug of milk, and he never comes home. Leave mom and the kids to fend for themselves. Well, why? Well, he wants to go chase women. What do you think about that? Or mama does that. I mean, there's stories on both sides of it. And the babies, the kids, they look at each other and they look at dad and they say, why does mama not care about us? Why does she not want us? She said she wants no part of us. She ran off of some guy somewhere and away they went. Well, if there's no God, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, but what if your children die? You just swatted a mosquito. You just pulled a weed. It's no big deal. That's what Mr. Huxley said. We didn't want rules to get in the way of us doing what we wanted. So if those rules mean the breakdown of the home, well, so what? We get to do what we want. Barbara Burke said, Among some animal species then, infant killing appears to be a natural practice. Could it be natural for humans true to a trait inherited from our primate ancestors? Think about that. She's talking about abortion, you know. Oh, it's not such a big deal. Animals do it all the time. That ain't all animals do. Animals kill their young after they're born, too. Sometimes they kill them and eat them. If you grew up around very many animals, especially out in the country on a farm, you've seen it. You ever see a male cat eat the competition? That's in their wiring. Survival of the fittest. He's got to further his gene pool. He can't have competitors. So he follows the mama. I mean, I watched this as a kid. He follows the mama cat around having her litter, and every one she drops, he kills. That's kind of unsavory, isn't it? Look, we could go on and on about stories of what animals do and how cruel it gets. And a lot of the stories you hear today about People turning on each other and people killing people and people burning each other's houses down and burning seeds. All those kind of things that disturb us so much. Every one of those things, that's things that animals do. If there's no God and we're going to define our behavior by the animals whence we supposedly evolved, then what's the big deal? So a male cat goes in and he kills a bunch of young. So a person walks into a school with a gun and kills a bunch of young. Or you spray a room full of mosquitoes. Now look, our stomachs are turning. We're sickened at the thought of a society that sanctions such things. And it disturbs us that people are pointing everywhere but where the blame belongs. When it's gun violence, it's the gun's fault. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to make a spiritual statement, and I hope this comes through. So you go where they don't have guns. There was a story the other day of a guy that used scissors or a knife. Did you see that? he, He hurt a bunch of kids. We could flip that around, and we could talk about how many times there was a setting of a bunch of helpless children, and somebody had a knife or a pair of scissors, and nobody got hurt. How many times did you and I go to school and somebody goes out to their buddy's truck and looks at all the guns and nobody got hurt. The idea of somebody getting hurt was the last thought on anybody's mind. And on and on we could go with those kind of examples. And I'm not trying to make a political statement. I care about heaven and you and I getting there and taking as many with us as we can go. And here's the point. The fault rests with removing God and right and wrong from society. And we have criminals that practice what atheists preach and we're mystified when it happens when we have a society that's insisted for a long time that we take God out of the equation. And nobody wants to look back at liberal Missouri and admit what a train wreck it was and what a train wreck it is right now and what a train wreck it will always be because we can't be trusted to figure out what's right and wrong. We'll look anywhere we can to find something that excuses the behavior we want. Even if it's looking at animals and saying, well, they kill their young. And how long can it be before that goes completely out of control? Well, it already has. Genesis 2.15. Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This is before the fall and the sin. God wanted Adam and Eve to work before they ever fell into sin. The fall into sin just made it more difficult. But this is the first guy that got a job, and his job was tending the garden. Man is to be busy working. We cherish the precepts related to the work ethic. There are a lot of different rules that God has given us in the new covenant scriptures that teach us about being good workers and working hard and working smart and honesty and business and all of that. That's all rooted in a work ethic that we're introduced to in the Genesis story. Take away Genesis and you pull out the foundation. Genesis 3, 18, 19. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. That's how we console ourselves, isn't it? When the, when the work becomes difficult, our job is hard, it's frustrating, we're facing obstacles. In our hearts, we go back to that and say, Well, sin made this harder, and we're just going to have to accept. That's part of our curse. God wants his people to be hardworking people. That's just who we're supposed to be. What if a guy doesn't want to care for his aged parents? What if a guy looks at them and says, man, if I'm going to take, you know, they're old, they're feeble, they can't do for themselves. What if I look at them and I say, I don't want to help. I'd, I'd have to put out effort to do that. You know, there's people that do that. And they leave their parents to just die helpless. I mean, how awful is that? You think animals don't do that? I mean, if, that's where, if we're going to look away from God and away from Genesis and away from creation to understand right and wrong, and we're going to turn and look at the animal kingdom, let's just get a big heap and helping of it. And let's accept what's coming. What's coming is what's unfortunately all too common today. And that is people don't care about their neighbor. And sometimes they don't even care about their families. What if a woman wasn't, doesn't want to clean and feed her baby? I mentioned a story in passing this morning of somebody who left the child in a dumpster. That's happened a lot. And we think about that and we look at these precious little ones around us. You, you, you can't understand how can somebody do that? Because they took God out of the equation. They looked at the animal kingdom. They said this is no different than swatting above. They decided to practice what atheists preach. And away we go. Well, that kind of turns my stomach. And it does yours too. But that's what we've got when you remove the foundation. All that, that is said in Scripture about family and our obligations and to help each other and care for each other and that whole package of ethics... It all rests on these things. What if a person expects you to provide for them while they enjoy leisure? Well, don't get my wife started about that. You can't swing a stick without hitting some of them. And a lot of times there is a sense of entitlement of, look, I have no intentions of holding down a job. I can't do that. I don't have the patience for that. I'm too tired for that. I don't feel like that. That's too hard. I want you to take care of me from the provisions of the job that you hold down. You know, if you think about it, that's really slavery. I want you to take care of me, and I don't do anything. You become that person's slave, don't you? Well, how does that make you feel? I've got a pretty good idea. I mean, a lot of you folks, I've known you for Okay, maybe not quite 40 years, but a lot of you have known you that long or longer. And I, y'all know I see it in you. You value hard work, you value all the ethics that go with it, you value the dignity that God promises we'll receive from being hard workers and ethical workers and things like that. And it bothers us to see these things slipping away in our society. And the reason they're slipping away. Is because people have wanted to expel God. And we're doing a liberal Missouri replay. And the people that are behind it are mystified that it's going wrong. Think about the issues of modesty. You know when they took a bite of the fruit there in Genesis 3 and 7? It says they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. The principle of being modest or chaste as is taught in the New Scriptures, in the New Testament Scriptures, that's anchored right there. When you remove the Genesis story, you remove the foundation. Man, I, you know, we have different ideas about what is or is not modest. You know, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 talks about modest apparel there. In that particular setting, it's, it's talking about the ladies, but these are principles that apply to men and women. We know this kind of thing is taught throughout Scripture. And we we struggle to find the right judgment. And, you know, there's different opinions on the application of it. I understand all of that. But we all agree that it's something that matters and these are issues we've got to work out for our families and teach to our young. And we're grieved when we see a world that spurns those ideas. When there's no divine rule, when there's no God and there's no creation story, you remove Genesis 3 and 7. And so what you have is you have immodesty. You have people addressing to a degree that's alarming at its level of, mo- of immodesty. And if that's not wrong, well, what about pornography? Pornography. Well, we're all concerned about that because it's so addictive and it's a lustful thing and Jesus taught us not to lust and we're right to be concerned about that. But if there's no God and there's no moral foundation, then who's to say that's wrong? Well, that's exactly how some people think and that's why they have no problem with it. They think it ought to be, you know, for everybody. Well, if we're going to have those standards in pornography, what about public nudity? I mean, there's places that's a problem. Don't go there. I mean, if you can figure that out, maybe avoid those places. Why? Well, we believe in God and the foundation, you see. But if there's no God and you remove the foundation, why not? Well, if we're going to go that far, it it gets uncomfortable. You think it's uncomfortable hearing it, you ought to stand up here and say it. This is uncomfortable. But what about child pornography? Hey, that's a big problem. Making victims of those little ones. And with all this noise these days about these books and the schools and the libraries and the things those books are showing children and advocating to children, everybody's in a, in a tizzy about that and we ought to be. Now, I know what the other side says. The other side says, now look, we're not trying to... To groom children to be molested or abused in any way, that's not what we're about. We're just trying to teach children to accept that there are different peoples with different ways of life. It's a lie. I've got a friend, a brother in the Lord, who recently reluctantly took an appointment to a community committee that, uh, committee that governs their local libraries in his area. And the reason he accepted that is because of the books that are being prominently displayed in the children's section. And he said, I wanted no part of it, but I thought, you know what? We've got to go there and try to stop this stuff. And he and the committee started reviewing these one by one. It didn't take them long to quit. Because it wasn't about just accept that these people want a different lifestyle. It wasn't about that. It was about grooming It was about graphics. It was about teaching kids how to consent to things that God doesn't want to happen outside of marriage. And it was awful. And it's exactly what you get when you practice what atheism preaches. We've got to protect our young people. And that means standing up for godly values. I'm going to try real hard not to climb up on a soapbox, but I'm going to tell you. I read an article the other day, and I think I may have shared some of this information with Brandon today or yesterday. And this article was based on an interview with a man who was an online predator that preyed upon children and sought children out to be his victims. And they said, what do you look for in a kid? And he said, the first place I look is at their family. If they've got a good, strong family with a dad that I see as a threat. And if I see a dad present in their life that's a threat, I don't even go there. Now, you think about all the people there are today that's saying there's no problem with fatherless homes. And you think about that man. And what he said, he looks for in a victim. and You put it all together. The devil's busy, isn't he? Homes need strong fathers, brethren. Fathers that are seen present in their children's lives, brethren. Fathers that are perceived as men that love God and love their families and will do what they can to keep their families safe, brethren. I'm not talking about acting with hate or malice. We understand in Christ that such things are wrong. But I'll tell you, I remember the girls, our daughters, protesting in their youth. Dad, there's some of the boys that you know at school that are interested, and they want to ask us out, but they're scared of you. You know what I told them? I said, "Well, good. Then I, that means I'm doing my job." But Dad, listen if they're not man enough to face me, they're not man enough to handle you. So if that's who those guys are, just be thankful they're too scared. You don't need them. You don't have to go around, you know, firing off missiles and shooting guns at people. Just be present in your kid's life. And let's be present to stand for the values and brethren, live these values so that our homes stay strong and remain a bright beacon of God's beautiful light in a world that is so dark and so ugly because these problems are not new. They're as old as man's fall in the garden. And they're there any time you start to remove the God of heaven and the values for which he stands. even still uncomfortable, human dignity. You know, I remember where I grew up, there were some people that really thought you ought to devalue others because of where they were from and the color of their skin. And they really believed that you, you judged them and you evaluated them based on what color they were. What do you think about that? Well, the Bible teaches that we all are the children of God and the offspring of Noah. Genesis 11 and 1 tells us about the earth being of one language, of one speech. Everybody was of one nationality. That's Noah and his sons and their families. You go later in the chapter and he says, Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth and they left off to build a city. So here God scattered humankind into different nationalities and different, you might say, ethnic groups. Later on, preaching to the Athenians, the apostle Paul affirmed of God in Acts 17 and 26 that he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. That's his commentary on the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And if you remove Genesis... You remove the foundation of Paul's cherished principle here that we're all part of one race, the human race. And this idea of different races is man's invention. God's invention is we're all of the offspring of Noah. Peter said in Acts 10 and 34, he opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And he went on to expand that to show that people of different nations and none of that mattered. What mattered to God is are they going to do his will? That frames for us the values by which God would have his children live. When we accept creation and the Genesis story, we accept Adam and we accept Noah, and we accept Noah's sons, and the different families came from Noah's sons, the darker people, the medium-colored people, and the more pale-complected people. When you follow the descendants or the offspring of Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, throughout uh, Genesis chapter uh, 10 and chapter 11, and you trace those to the different nations that are li- listed there, you'll find that's where all the different nations of people came from. But we're all of one race, the human race. And we're all made in God's image, and therefore our life has dignity and value. This is the biblical worldview. Now, I know some Christians have not walked consistently with the biblical worldview, but this is what God's Word teaches. And when you have God, you have this ethic that says, we matter because we're in the image of God and a mutual love for all the family of man. But when you remove God from the equation... You remove the foundation and the house crumbles. This is uncomfortable. But I want to show you atheism in all of its ugliness. I have no intentions of painting it with a bright brush. Thomas Henry Huxley, remember an associate of Darwin. No rational man cognizant of the facts believes that the average Negro is the equal, still less the superior of the white man. Drink it in. Think about it. If that doesn't make your blood boil, then I've got to ask you, do you really believe Acts 17 and 26? Think about it. Hey, flip the script. You know, there's some people that believe this statement. They just rearrange the colors. How do you feel about it? Well, I know how God feels about it. He calls it hate. And he says we'll lose our soul for it. People are always looking for an excuse to hate. If it's not the, the color of the other person, it'll be something about their culture or it'll be something about their economics or it'll be something about something else. But broken man looks for an excuse to hate his fellow man. And when we belong to Christ, we reject hate and all the bigotry that goes with it. Well, we're not done being uncomfortable. Henry Fairfield Osborne, the negroid stock is even more ancient than the Caucasian and Mongolian, as may be proved by an examination not only of the brain, but of the hair, the bodily characters, the instincts, the intelligence... Now, I'm going to tell you what he's saying because there's more of the quote I left out because it's even more offensive. But what this evolutionist atheist is saying is that there's some people from some parts of the world that are more like monkeys than the rest of us. Take that in and think about the God who sent his son to teach us to love your neighbor. I'm sorry, this, this is uncomfortable, but we need to be aware of what really happens when you remove God. And we wonder why there's so much bigotry and hate in the world today. No, we don't wonder. We know why. That's what happens when you take God and his authority out of the equation. I'm going to give you this quote, and I'm going to let you kind of guess where you think this comes from. At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized Races of man. Stop. Think about it. Who do you think he's talking about? The civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. Why well, It sticks out like a sore thumb. Somebody wants to exterminate the so-called savage races, and they want the so-called civilized races to do the exterminating. Now, where do you think that come from? Somebody says, well, I'm sure that's somewhere in Mein Kampf. You know that book that Hitler wrote that explained why he thought that the Jewish people were the savage races that ought to be exterminated? No, no. Charles Darwin said that. I know you won't have to hunt hard at all to find atheists today that scream denials of any affinity for these ideas. Oh, no, that's not what we're about. Oh, really? Well, then what are you about? And if you're about the equality of man, then who says that's what's right? And if you're going to assign on to might makes right and human society gets together and defines what's right, then we don't have to hunt hard to find multiple human societies that thought this right here was the answer. All Darwin did is come along and remove God from the equation to try to sanctify what a lot of people have been doing throughout history. We're going to find the enemy and we're going to get rid of them. We're not going to love them. We're not going to care for them. We're not going to live peacefully with them. We don't want God telling us to do all that stuff. We want to do what we want to do. And that's why some will want to remove God from the equation. It becomes an excuse for hate. When you remove Genesis, you remove the foundation that says these things are wrong and deeply embarrassing. Let me show you what else we have in Genesis. We have in Genesis a hope. I know we have the story in chapter 3 culminating there at verse 6 with them committing the sin of eating the forbidden fruit. Both Eve and Adam did that. But on the heels of that, sin was brought into the world by one man's sin into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. All of that happened because of the fall in the garden. But in Christ there's hope. Rooted in the Genesis story is the hope of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, and 22. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. When you plug God back in and you plug the creation back in and you plug Genesis 1 through 11 back in, you find Jesus. Because he's promised all the way way back in Genesis 3 and verse 15. God's first promise to send a Savior into the world. And that is the man through which we can be made spiritually alive, have our sin reckoned with, and have hope of resurrection from the dead. He's the cure of all we've talked about that ails the human race. You remove God, you remove everything And we just become a chaotic mess of lowly animals turning on one another until everybody's gone. And wouldn't Satan love that? But in God there is Christ. And in Christ there is hope. A hope that far exceeds any pleasure that doing what I want could offer. Because ultimately doing what I want ends In agony and in death, sin always destroys. So let's not reject God. Let's embrace Him in full enthusiasm. Let's own Him and let's tell Him, uh, uh, tell others about Him. That what is right is right because He says that it's right and He's made a way to salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is our eternal hope. And that is your study for the evening. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.